0: I cannot wait to see you.
1: I'm not the greatest at relaxing, which is why I created this space and this brand, is because I want to drown myself in it so much that I have to do it.
0: Cindy Ramirez-Fulton may be going 100 miles an hour, but she wants you to relax. She's the entrepreneur behind Chill House, a spot in New York City's Lower East Side where you can decompress with a latte, a manicure, or a quick massage. But for Cindy, the cafe and spa is just one piece of a much larger vision, a global brand for modern
1: self-care.
0: Cindy, it is fun to see you off of Instagram.
1: Yes, I love that (laughs) intro. Can I... Get that email yes. so that I can uh-huh. use it in the future.
0: Yeah, for your, for your web page, you're welcome.
1: It's um, <laughs> perfect. Global.
0: Yeah, well, you're clear about what you want.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to be global, for sure, one day.
0: <laughs> Cindy, your Instagram bio reads, someone once said, I'm like the Rihanna of hospitality.
1: Is that still up? <laughs> yes. Really? What does that mean? Someone said that. I think I may have had a couple of glasses of wine and thought that was funny, and I posted it. It just means that I've kind of become known for being in the hospitality space in a couple of different ways. Um, I've been in it for so long. I was a waitress when I was 18, a bartender by the time I was 20, and then I was a partner in a bar by the time I was like 25, 26. And then now I have Chill House.
0: Right. And from my understanding, that nightlife journey was a surprise right like you were headed to college you were gonna yeah. do fashion marketing and the nightlife bug just bit
1: oh yeah it bit so hard so I moved to the city when I was 17 I'm from Queens originally and so because I you know was living in Manhattan at 17 prime kind of promoter bait I'd say I was going out a lot. And, you know, I ended up seeing like just what kind of money could be made in nightlife. It didn't take long for me to kind of just jump on in. So when I went to college, it was just a game of like trying to wake up early, but partying or, or working till like late in the evening. And it just wasn't really a conducive lifestyle for a college student. And, you know, looking back, I don't condone that kind of quitting and for cash, sort of behavior, but but you it were hustling hard, hard
0: because, like, I think we hear nightlife and it sounds glamorous, but you were like a girl with collecting emails in a bathroom.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You heard about this? <laughs> yes. My first job was actually well, my first job in nightlife was working for a club promoter. I was literally the girl standing around in the bathroom collecting emails from other girls. This was like before texting even existed to be completely honest so I was like the next day my follow-up work was to call them and invite them out like to another party that week and then from there I went into hostessing I worked at Tao the heyday of Tao back in the day and then went into cocktail waitressing right after and then kind of caught the bug of tip making again
0: tell me about the first night you did bottle service
1: okay (laughs) did I talk about this somewhere else too my goodness yeah Did I talk about who? No, I can't say who. I was just kind of like minding my own business, like dropping bottles. And then out of nowhere, some guy basically like cracked a bottle of vodka over another man's head. And it just became this full on like blood fest. So that was my first experience. Needless to say, I think I learned some lessons as to like not working in certain environments. Just because obviously as a young girl, it's very dangerous to be put in these situations. And that wasn't the first or last time I've been in a very violent nightclub hmm. situation. Fortunately, it didn't happen often.
0: You're so young.
1: You're I was like 21. So young. Yeah.
0: You're making like $2,000 a week, which is a lot Minimum. of money. Yeah. Minimum. And it's all, even still a lot of money yeah. for a 21-year-old.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: mean, college must have really drifted away.
1: It did. It didn't become... The fantasy that I wanted it to be. You know, I think I went into this fashion school thinking that I was going to come out of it like this big budding fashionista, like gossip girl. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't that, yeah. at least not for me. I realized quickly that the game was very, at least back in the day, it was like to get to where you wanted to be, you had to take on a million free internships, unpaid internships, and I wasn't in the position to do that, yeah. nor did I want to. You dropped out of college not once, but twice. <laughs>
0: Are there days you wish you had that degree?
1: Now, not as much because I don't think it would be relevant to what I do. But back in the day, it prevented me from getting a job. I don't know if I actually ever lied on my resume. I probably put that I had a BA. But it got it made me really nervous. You know, like what if they actually like looked into my background? What if they actually like contacted the school and like looked into yeah. my grades? All those things. I don't like to go into anything knowing that I'm like lying or even like twisting the truth, bending the truth a little bit. That's not who I am. So it made me really anxious to even go out and look for jobs, claiming that I've graduated when I didn't. And it prevented me from going after some pretty cool jobs that I thought I'd be good for. You know, I was like, oh, this seems like it's me. Like I can absolutely like who cares about the degree? I feel like I got this. And it still like, you know, prevented me from going after it because... I was like, I know they're not going to go for it.
0: You're Colombian. I am. Grew up in Queens. Yes. Moved around a lot. Your mom, interestingly, is an aesthetician. She is. And owns a couple of Meta Spas. What did you learn watching her build her business?
1: That it's all hard work and it's all about your customer service and it's all about how you treat people and how you build your clientele, really. She's just all about her work. The woman works Monday through Saturday, 10 to 7 p.m., and never takes a day off or goes on vacation. And I'm not saying that's the way we should all be. If anything, that's what I'm trying to say we shouldn't always be. Being, like, a workaholic, I think, is becoming less and less sexy. I mean, I'm I'm still a workaholic, but I don't like to be like, I'm so busy, you know? Being busy was so glamorized for so long, and I think we're now saying, like, no, like... Yes, we're all busy. We don't have to talk about it all the time. But here, here's how I take care of myself and like counteract that. And so what I learned about my mom, you know, in a way is obviously I watched her and how she treated her clients and how she sold her clients. I was always really impressed by my mom's sales techniques. Like I always thought she could literally sell water to a whale. She's like she's like (laughs) Jay-Z. But watching her, you know, also reminded me that I don't want to live that life. Did you feel like she lived that life as a choice or because she had to? It's hard to say because Latina mothers are so like their whole lives revolve around their children and their work. I just feel like with my mom particularly, that's like all she can think about. So I don't know if it was by choice or if it's just because that's all she felt and wanted to do. She has her Sundays where she goes to church and she shops and all that. And those are her like self-care moments, I'd say. But yeah, I think. She wanted to be successful. She wanted to have something that she maybe owned in New York and can, like, say, like, I came to the States. I proved myself and this is what I have to show for it. And she did that.
0: I first found you, since I am not a fashion girl, because I followed Jeanette Ogden, who's Shut the Kale Up. I love her. She's so great. She's the
1: sweetest.
0: And she's Mexican American. Yeah. She shared a photo of the two of you and talked about how, as a Latina in the wellness space, she never felt like she fit.
1: Do you feel the same way? In the wellness space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not a lot of us. I was actually talking about this the other day goop. And like, there are so many companies, wellness companies out there that, you know, are mostly centered around white, blonde women. And you know, women like Jeanette, myself, Latinas in general are very underrepresented across every possible category singers, actresses, like artists, all of it. And wellness is literally a category that's so behind as far as representation that I'm glad Instagram has allowed women that have my skin color to feel like it's okay. Like I can practice this and I can talk about this. You know, it's not like, Why should we be the stereotype that always eats rice and beans? Like, no, we eat kale. We eat, you know, we nourish ourselves in other ways, too.
0: When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swathers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. Hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes, from newborn to size 8, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the elephant and Freddie the duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club.
2: Hi Latina to Latina listeners, it's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At six thirty PM, we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. <laughs>
0: Hey, if it's time to upgrade your bra, then you should check out Lively. They offer bra styles for all different body types, available in 32A to 44 D. They've got bralettes, t-shirt bras, no-wire bras, and so much more. For a limited time, you can get $10 off your first order by visiting wearelively.com latina. That's wearlivel dot latina. The Lively bras I ordered were stylish and really comfortable. They're made of soft fabrics that you'll actually want to wear all day. The website is easy to navigate, and as you know, I love trying things on at home. Their how to measure guide is on point and makes the process really easy. Lively is creating products that we all thought were impossible, like their no-wire strapless bra or best-selling busty bralettes, both of which quickly sold out and had thousands on back order. Plus, they have free and easy returns using the prepaid shipping label included in every package. And when you refer a friend for every friend that signs up for Lively and makes a purchase, you receive 100 points. That's $10. So head to wearelively.com slash Latina. That's wearlivel dot slash Latina and get $10 off your first order. Very often we hear stories of entrepreneurs and they've gone to business school and learned to write business plans and it can feel inaccessible to a lot of us, at least to me. Part of what I like about your story is that you've harnessed a lot of real world experience, your work in nightlife, social media, fashion, and tech, and use that as the educational basis for what you're building now, right?
1: I'd say so. Um, wait, can you repeat that question? I, like, my, <laughs> There's my no thought. question,
0: it was like a dot, dot, dot. It's like
1: everything you've done has led up to what yeah. I do now. Absolutely. My journey has not been linear by any means. There was no grand plan. I like to say that my life really started or I guess my like work life really started when I did this internship for a company called Third Wave Fashion. Again, it was like right around like my mid 20s where I was like, okay, I'm exhausted from nightlife. I have to do something like this is kind of not going to take me anywhere if I kind of keep doing this job? How do I enter the workforce? Right. I found this really cool internship that actually grabbed my attention. It was like very clear that it was a brand new startup that was just kind of trying to figure it out. The founder had both a fashion background, a tech background and a business background. It was kind of trying to mix the three and help entrepreneurs fill the holes wherever they're not well versed. Right. So like Someone from a business background is really interested in starting like a fashion business but doesn't have the fashion kind of credentials. We came in and helped out in some way. So I love the idea of being able to help other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. because I wanted to learn from them, you know. And as an intern, you don't have to know everything, you just kind of have to be there, soak everything in, and help exactly. out as much as you can. Yeah. So luckily, I landed the job. I think I was doing a great job. I was very, very invested. I was. They're almost full-time, helping her out as almost like a right hand. And then six months in, you know, towards the end of the internship time span, I asked if I can be full-time, and she said yes. And it was literally the same, I think within the same couple of days, I got fired from my first job ever at some nightclub. They accused me of stealing, and I was like, um... (laughs) Okay, I wasn't, but thank you. This is actually a blessing because I just got hired full-time, so bye. Wow. And then I never looked back. So it was kind of very, yeah, it was very synergetic, I'd say. And that job was a huge learning experience for me. I, I got to meet a ton of people that I'm still friends with today. I got to learn what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do, I'd say, also. It taught me a lot about startups and just the tech space, I'd say, like where I'd want to land as an entrepreneur. So I think it was an amazing opportunity to learn about an industry that I otherwise probably would have never entered.
0: Can you talk to me about influencing and about social media and how you came to really master and understand
1: that? Uh, ooh, master. I don't even know if I master it. Well, how it happened after leaving that job, I started my website, Taste the Style. I carved a little niche for myself in this space in some capacity I was thought of as the girl that would look stylish but was also eating a burger and that's how I kind of first started doing Instagram and, and this is like Instagram before I feel like the biggest influencers on Instagram were the ones that were being suggested by Instagram you know it was like a photographer or an artist or yeah. a videographer you weren't or like if you were a major like fashion blogger like that was right around the beginning too. But it wasn't like a real girl from New York, you know, there, there weren't those. We weren't like necessarily like ranking in the the follows. So I think somehow because of Taste of Style, I kind of had this position in lifestyle. People started paying attention, following. And then I ended up taking Taste of Style and turning it into more of just an overall lifestyle site, mm-hmm. less about me. That way I was able to kind of do other projects if I wanted to and have other people contribute to the platform.
2: Hello, I'm Ashanti Golar and I'm so excited to tell you about a brand new podcast, The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics is a one-stop shop for women of color who are looking to learn more from women of color in politics and also just to see what's going on and how other women of color are working to make the country a better place. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics is for that woman of color who has been told that she doesn't have a place in politics. It is for that woman who knows that she wants to be involved in politics, but doesn't know how to get started. It's for that woman who wants to run for elected office, but needs to hear from someone who looks like them, who has done it before. I've teamed up with Wonder Media Network to bring you a season full of conversations with women who are leading the way in politics today. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: I want to talk about the idea behind Chill House. You and your husband, Adam, you live in New York. You wanted to get massages. You Mm -hmm. realized there were lots of low end, no frill options, which I've enjoyed in the past. Luxurious high end spa options also have enjoyed. But nothing in the middle.
1: Nothing in the middle.
0: And you then started to think of other forms of self-care, a nice drink, a manicure, which is your preferred form of Mm self-care. And the idea was born. What was the first step you took to make this happen?
1: I'd say, like, looking for spaces was the first step. That's a huge first step. Yeah. Well, that's the funnest step, I think. <laughs> and I'm kind of crazy like that. Like, And so is my husband. We're both kind of crazy in the, the best ways together and crazy in in different ways, which also helps, you know. When we got really excited about the fusion of the three, it was very clear how the place needed to lay out. So I think that's when we were like, let's just start looking for spaces and seeing like what the rent is, because a lot of times when you need to model things out, you need to know what your prices are, (laughs) what your rent is going to be, because that's going to be your biggest expense. I think we started there and then worked backwards.
0: And how did you do the initial round of funding for Chill House? Friends
1: and family, the guys, my partners, so Adam, his partner in the bars, they've been down this rodeo a couple of times with the bars. So we were able to tap into a bunch of that. Uh, network, as well as, you know, some of my friends. I had a lot of personal friends that threw in like ten, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. 20,000, 30,000. sort of smaller checks, but it helped out a ton. And then, you know, we obviously bootstrapped for the next year or so. And then this past year, we did a little bit of a bridge round to carry us through another year and then hopefully a bigger round.
0: For someone who doesn't know, can you explain what a bridge round is?
1: Bridge round is kind of this in between round, mostly between like a friends and family or your series A. So maybe it could be called considered a seed and it just allows you to raise capital without having, I guess, a valuation on your business or establishing a valuation right away. Mm -hmm. So for us, since we're still really new, we're still kind of proving our worth. We wanted to keep as much equity this early and then we can go back out when we've proven our valuation, I'd say in about a year.
0: As you prepare to talk to VCs, how do you explain what you uniquely bring to the table?
1: That's a good question. I'd say we probably will position ourselves or do position ourselves as wanting to be the leader of this conversation. I want for Chill House, the name Chill House, to be synonymous with the practice of self-care. So while some people may know us for manicures or just massages or just our cafe drinks, I think our goal is to educate people Further past that, you know, and if our name is associated with that, great, you know, but it's not just like, oh, Chill House is a spot. No, Chill House is a lifestyle and it's a way of being. Right. That's probably the biggest value prop, I'd say, is just the mission and the community that we build around the mission. How, as a woman of color, are you treated in those meetings? It's hard to say right now because we haven't raised any VC capital. We've just had conversations and they're, for the most part, really interested But we haven't gotten further down that conversation. And it's also really hard for me to get a real sense of what it would be like if I did it alone, because I usually do it with my husband, who's a lot more well-versed in financial conversations. So I don't always enter these meetings solo, just knowing that if I get asked a question that I'm like, I don't want to get stuck or like hesitate. You know, I want him to be there as like in a way as like a cushion to make sure that we are saying everything correctly, and I like, don't have our numbers unaligned, you know, in my head. So it's kind of hard to say when I have like a white man next to me if I am discriminated in any way. Um, what do you
0: think you need to do to get to a point where you can walk into that meeting by yourself?
1: Probably just feeling a lot more confident in the business model in general, mm-hmm. and I think we'll get there by the end of the year. I'd say we have something really uh, big coming this year. And this would establish the future of Chill House, I'd say. Time-wise, I'm so invested in the brand side of things that I often forget to look at the number side of things, which is definitely my downfall. So when we do go out for VC, I'm going to be heavy into like knowing every single bit of the financials and knowing our projections like down to a T. So I'm not quite ready yet because we also have to get through this phase to be able to properly project for the the next five years.
2: When I first started doing this, and I would talk about climate change, it was a, like another subject, like geology, hydrology, meteorology, and it was well received. And then at some point it got politicized.
0: What made climate change political was the most comprehensive, longest running propaganda campaign in US history. I'm Amy Westervelt, the host of Drilled, a true crime podcast about climate change. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You are a mega connector. Mm. Think that's
1: fair. Yeah, I think so. So what are your
0: secrets to building a network?
1: I'd say don't be afraid of making a connection, even if you think it's competitive, even if you think, wait, hold on, maybe that opportunity is better for me because I'm telling you the second that you get a little like, eh, it'll bite you in the ass. So I've always just approached networking as like a... I scratch my back, you scratch yours, without thinking of it that way necessarily, but knowing that that's I was what. Say it again. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah. So I said, I scratch my
0: back, <laughs> you scratch yours. Oops,
1: that's the opposite. <laughs> I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and without necessarily going into every relationship that way, I don't think we should all be thinking of it like, oh, I'm going to do you a favor it was just so you can do me a favor right back. But you know, I think as women, we just have to be supportive and. Without even knowing, I've just kind of always been that way. Like, I love I love featuring women. I love getting to know women that inspire me. I love reaching out to women that I think are like-minded and that I would like to just be friends with and hang out with. Like, it's kind of just that simple. Like, I love building relationships because I love having friends that I enjoy spending time with. You've said there are different kinds
0: of entrepreneurs out there. Which kind are you?
1: Did I say what kind of categories? Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. I think, though, it's in our popular imagination there sort of is like a very alpha numbers-driven entrepreneur.
1: I'd say I'm more impulsive, slightly micromanaging, but also on top of multiple things at once, I say, is the type of entrepreneur I am. So I'm like, I know X, Y, and Z needs to get done. I check in with everyone to make sure not too much time has passed between projects. I'm like that kind of entrepreneur. So like, I wish micromanaging wasn't like a negative word because I feel like I am a micromanager, but I in a, in a positive way. Right, you're big on the details. Yeah, yes.
0: Your brand is not synonymous with the
1: Chill House brand. My in, brand isn't. No. No. In the not way always. in the
0: way that it was with Taste of Style, no. right? Taste of Style was yes. Cindy Ramirez. Where this, I think Chill House exists on its own and mm-hmm. you exist on your own, and there's probably a good community for whom there's a lot of overlap between yeah. the two, who think of them as the two. How much of your work is maintaining your brand, which then buoys the Chill House brand?
1: About twenty percent. Of my day goes towards my own projects, but that sounds a lot higher than normal. But like even just engaging with people on Instagram, you know, that kind of dips into my day. Little things like that that I think are important, you know, and I think we should all be doing just because it's important to talk to your network, right?
0: Your business is all about chilling. How do you disconnect?
1: I am like everyone else. I'm still trying to figure out what works for me. I have the services I have because I love them and I utilize them as my form of self-care. I'm also always experimenting on new things. I'm going to my mom's. I'm going to this place to get a facial. I'm going to this place to get infrared. I'm going, I'm all over. I'm definitely like testing the market and indulging in the market, I'd say. So those are just some kind of more like surface-level self-care kind of things that I yes, do. Yes, but even your
0: disconnecting sounds like you're going back to work, Cindy Ramirez. But it's
1: fun. What I do is fun. I Like, I truly enjoy it, and I truly enjoy learning about the industry. You know, it's not work for me because, you know, it's how I grew up, and it's just feels like a hobby. Otherwise, like, if I feel run down, I'm a total just, like, literally crash-on-the-couch sort of girl with her puppy and Netflix. I, like, watch stupid shows on repeat and it sounds so maybe off-brand for me sometimes i'm like no i'm just like i'm not the greatest at relaxing which is why i created this space and this brand is because i want to drown myself in it so much that i have to do it i've worked to get done
0: <laughs> and that is the global brand that someone like me can buy into
1: yeah cool well, i love that thanks cindy thank you so much thank you this is so lovely
0: Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is owned and executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Maria Muriel was the sound designer on this episode. We want to hear from you. Tell us who you want to hear from and how you're making the show a part of your life. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. see you.